Hello and welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour. I'm your host, Justine Ward, and each week we bring you a classic show from radio's golden age. We've been focusing on adventure in 2019, and this week we have a treat for you. Escape offered the finest in radio adventure stories. They adapted fine literature and also featured original scripts. Today we'll start with an adaptation of a classic adventure story, of the French Foreign Legion called Beaugest, the scene of a Sahara desert fort manned by ghostly corpses is chilling and memorable. Enjoy Escape, the story of Beaugest, first broadcast March 21st, 1948 on CBS. Tired out from a strenuous weekend? Get a little too much sunburn? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. You are stealthily stalking into a silent desert fortress, walking into what you know may be a trap. Around you stand a legion of dead men, and over you, an unseen menace hangs in the African night. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to Africa, to the Sahara, to an earlier day in one of the greatest adventure mysteries of all time, Percival Christopher Wren's Beaugest. The report had been brought to my headquarters in Tokotiu three days before. And I'd had the squadron on horse and ready to leave within ten minutes. We've been on continuous forced march ever since. The camel scout had reported that the Zendunov outpost was under attack from a force of at least 2,000 Arabs. And that the tiny garrison had little chance of survival. As we came up to the last crest of sand dune shutting off our view of the lonely mud fort, I ordered my sergeant major to dismount the men and form skirmish lines while I rode on ahead to reconnoiter. At the top of the ridge, I reined in my horse and sat staring in amazement. Over the 200 yards of bare sand stretching up to the walls of the fort, nothing moved. There was no sound, no sign of life. The oasis off to my left was deserted. The Arabs were gone, and the Dregolor of France still waved overhead. Just then two shots of welcome were fired from the fort, and the bullets kicked up spats of dust off to one side of me. I rode in under the walls and stopped in front of the tall wooden gate. I could see now that every gun slit above me was manned by a grim-faced legionnaire holding his rifle leveled and ready. Congratulations, mes amis! Rose and I are proud to salute you! Come now! Why so grim? You are victorious! Inform your commandant that a major of the spies awaits his pleasure. Legionnaire! 
You up there with the pipe in your mouth. Go inform your commandant, do you hear me? Is everything in order, mon commandant? I'm not sure. Flugler, sound the regimental call. Believe me, Sergeant, when I get inside this fort... Look, mon capitaine, the man over the gate, he has been shot in the forehead. Shot? You are right, Sergeant, he's dead. And the one next wait, to him also. Wait, all along this wall. They are all dead. Impossible. Then who heard the shots when I rode up? Sergeant, get a volunteer. Have him climb up the wall and open this gate from the inside. If you will pardon me, mon commandant. Yes? I will volunteer. Huh? Oh. All right, Bugler, go ahead. Oui, mon commandant. Sergeant, this could be a trap. Have the men take open order at 50 yards and wait. And watch the gun slits there along the wall. And wait we did. Five minutes, ten. The men began to look at one another and to stir uneasily. The fort was silent. Nothing moved. Fifteen minutes passed. The gate was not opened. And the bugler did not come back. Finally, my sergeant and I climbed the wall ourselves. And we searched the eerie outpost room by room. But we could find no sign of our bugler, nor of any other living soul. The bodies of the entire garrison were on the battle ramp at the top of the wall. Their heads and shoulders jammed grotesquely into the gun slates where someone had brought them. While their dead hands clutched the rifles they would never fire again. Only two bodies were not so placed. One was that of a light-haired young man who lay peacefully on his back, his hands crossed over the rifle wound in his chest. And the other body? This one was the commandant. See, he was a gold star. So he does, Sergeant. But he also has a French bayonet in his heart. He was murdered by one of his own men. Rifles fired from an empty ford. The bugler has disappeared. I do not like this place. How in the name of heaven did they stab him? His revolver is still in his right hand. Near the other scrap of paper. Perhaps the paper explains all of this, eh? Perhaps. To the High Commissioner of Scotland Yard, I hereby confess fully and freely that I and I alone stole the great sapphire known as Blue Water. Signed, Beaugest. What is this all about? What does this mean? Mon commandant, these things are impossible, but they have happened. They do not make sense. Uh, why do we not go outside? Well, this was not to be the end of it. Shortly after dark, a tongue of flame flared suddenly in the heart of the silent fort. And in a matter of moments, the whole interior was ablaze throwing a great pillar of fire up into the black desert night. We sat and watched it burn. There was nothing else to do. And as I stared at the leaping flames, kindled by some unseen and unknown hand, I realized suddenly that neither I nor any man alive would ever know what strange things had really happened. Here at the lonely fort of Zinterneuf. My name is John Gest, and I am the only person alive 
who knows all that happened at Sindanef. My two brothers and I grew up at Brandon Abbey, south of London. Beau was the oldest, then Digby, and finally myself two years younger. I can remember very little of those days as I look back, except that we were happy, as only young boys can be. We read thrilling tales of the French Foreign Legion, sailed toy boats on the pond, and gave flaming Viking funerals for the tin soldiers who fell in our battles, burning them on funeral pyres of kindling wood, with toy dogs and horses at their feet, while Digby blew taps on his trumpet. Our only queen was cool and lovely Aunt Patricia, with whom we lived. Her husband, Sir Hector, was seldom in England, and if the hurt in Aunt Patricia's eyes grew deeper with the years, while the great estate fell slowly into ruin, then we children knew nothing of it. There were the two girls, of course, our cousins. Only girls didn't count at that age. But those days are far away now, and gone forever. And I can remember clearly only that one last night when the three of us came home from Oxford. Our cousins were there, and we were all together for the holidays. It was on that night the story of Zindernoff really began. We'd finished dinner and played games for a while. Now we just sat in the library talking. Gradually, our attention became focused more and more on the small black satin box, standing in the center of the table. Please, Aunt Patricia, can't we open the case now and look at it? You've had it sitting there for half an hour. Well, Claudia, dear, I thought you always liked to draw out the suspense as long as possible. Well, it's been long enough. I must say I agree with her, Aunt Patricia. Why, Bo, you do. I'm afraid so. Come on, let's have our semi-annual look at the family jewel, shall we? <laughs> well, all right, then. I should have my trumpet and blow a fanfare. <laughs> right. There we are. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the six largest and most perfect sapphires in the world, the Blue Water. Oh, oh it's beautiful. Rather, and I've seen it half a dozen times a year all my life. Go ahead, Claudia. Pick it up. Oh, no. It's nice to look at, Bo, but when you touch it, it always feels cold. What about you, John? Would you like to juggle a stone worth 50,000 pounds? I think I'll just look for a while, Dig. After all, I... the lights? What's happened to the lights? Oh, it must be a fuse. Burden will have them back on again in a minute. Please, don't move about and bump into things. I'm I'm quite sure everything will be all right in a moment. Sort of ghostly. Makes you think of skeleton hands and cobwebs. Oh, don't be afraid, Claudia. You're among friends, you know. I could swear I felt something touch me. I can't understand why I burned it. Oh, oh. oh there we are. Oh. Not a soul got lost in the dark. We're probably oh, all Patricia. a lot of... Look. Please, ladies and gentlemen, and I think all of us are... Who decided to play this joke? The sapphire's gone. The next hour became a nightmare. None of us present would admit having taken the sapphire. And if the thing had been done as a joke, then already it had been carried too far. Aunt Patricia went to bed finally, telling us that the library would be left open all night so the prankster, which we're not using the word thief, could return the blue water to its case in secret. The rest of us drifted off to our rooms. And an hour before midnight, Digby came in to tell me quietly that our brother Bo had packed a bag and left Brandon Abbas. and sat there in the darkness, listening to the ticking of the clock. I was not surprised when two hours after midnight I heard a sound below my window 
and looked out to see Digby slipping off down the drive. I was fairly certain that neither of my brothers had stolen the sapphire, but I understood what they were doing. Gallant as always, Bo had run away to draw suspicion from those innocent ones who might be hurt, and Digby had followed in order to split up the search for Bo. I could only guess where they'd gone, but long before dawn, I decided where I must go and what I had to do. And so it was that five days later, I walked into the Fort Therese, into the recruit barracks of the French Foreign Legion in Algeria. And if they refer to this cattle barn as a barracks, heaven knows what hey, the output... Digby, look who just came in the door. Good Lord, Bo. It's John. Hey, John. Hey, youngster, come here. Digby. Oh. Hello. Oh, I'd have ten to one I'd find you in the Legion. <laughs> you brainless young idiot. Both of you. Why? What's wrong, Bo? Oh, Bo wanted to be the only noble one in the family, John. Pay no attention to him. <laughs> well, there was no need for all of us running away. After all, I stole the blue water. Don't really say how you could have, Bo, since I brought it with me. Had a deuce of a time getting it through customs. Oh, you oh, did, did you? Oh, now, look, you two. I've had that sapphire all the time. And if either of you would like to take a look at it... I wonder who did steal it. What's the difference? It's driven all three of us into the Foreign Legion now. We're in for five years, whether we like it or not. Fine. What do we do? Well, we haven't done anything yet. It's supposed to be some kind of an inspection any minute. You know, you shouldn't have come, either of you. But, well, I'm, I'm glad you're both here. Thanks, Bo. So am I. I can't say exactly what we're in for, lads, but we're in it together. Oh, Lord. Well, I think we're supposed to stand up. What is it, a man or a gorilla? I think it's Sergeant Lejeune. The other men say he's a gorilla. Nice dirty little dogs. <laughs> Three sniveling little purse snatchers, if I ever saw one. Oh, I say now. Shut up! One more remark, and I will be most happy to kick your teeth out of your head. Put out your hands. All three of you. Thumbs up! Never done a day's work in your lives. Well, we are going to change all that, my little pigs. <laughs> Sacre bleu, if we are not going to change it, I shall march you through the sand until you drop on your faces. When that happens, I shall kick you until you get up or die. If you choose to die, perhaps I shall go on kicking you after you are dead. You are in the leisure now, my little dogs, and I shall give you cause to know it. You will curse Sergeant Lucian ten thousand times if you live long enough. And each time, you will wish you had stayed in England to be hanged, as you no doubt properly should. Is all of that perfectly clear? Yes, sir. Oh. <laughs> yes, sir. Ah, well, that is much better. Recruits, report in full kit to the parade ground in ten minutes. Meanwhile, fall out and clean up this pigsty. Yes, miss. If anybody want him, I'll sell my shirt. Are we in for five years of that? He's not even human. Well, he's part of the Legion, lads, and after all, they didn't ask us to come over here and join, did they? If you will pardon me, gentlemen, yes. I would like to take the liberty of introducing myself. Francisco Blondin at your service. Well, uh, we're the Smith brothers, Monsieur Blondin. 
Bowder, John, and I'm Digby. This is my third enlistment with the Legion, so I know what I am saying. And I can tell you, mes enfants, you have started off on the wrong foot. You should not have antagonized him. How did we antagonize the good sergeant, Monsieur Blondin? Well, who knows? Perhaps your hands were too clean, but uh, no matter. For now, you have Francisco Blondin as your advisor. We are honored. I stand in very well with Sergeant Lerjeune. There are reasons. And I have other contacts, too. I know all the ins and outs of this business, and I can be most useful to anyone who has something very valuable to hide. These men here, they are all thieves, of course. Oh, good heavens, not really. Ah, there is no time to talk now. But after drill, we will meet in the canteen for a bottle of wine... And I think we shall become very good friends. Au revoir, mes amis. Au revoir. Well, chaps, I can't quite see Mr. Oily as one of our close friends. He overheard us talking about the sapphire, of course. Yeah, between him and Sergeant Lejeune. Hey, uh, Signore, pay no attention to me. Pretend I'm only polishing this boot, eh? But listen carefully. Yes? Do not trust that man blondin. He's a thief, a liar. He's a little bloodhound who works for Sergeant Lejeune. When you wish to know something, you come to me. Juan Tayo. I will take a good care of you. Huh? I bet you would at that. Soon we find the chance to talk. I, Juan Tayo, will fix everything. Do not let anyone steal it. Huh? I go now. You be very careful. <laughs> well, along with Lejeune, we now have a bunch of thieves who probably try to steal the sapphire. Jorge. Come along, lads. Let's find out how they march in the Legion. And march we did. Hours in the glaring sun and the dust. Day after day, we wondered how much worse it would be on the desert. We grew hard and tough, and we learned the ways of the Legion and the ways of the Legionnaires. Some we liked and some we hated. But either way, we learned to live with them, talk with them, drink with them. We became soldiers, Legionnaires. We longed for active duty, and we got it even sooner than we hoped. We marched out of Sidi Belabes to the south, and we learned how beastly cruel the desert is. The kafar broke out the second week. That madness that comes when the brain is cooked by the sun, and men became gibbering idiots and died. At Tugur, some of the men were detached and sent to Tokotu for cavalry training. Among them, my brother Digby, and the rest of us marched on. Two days later, our commandant went mad and shot himself, and the detachment's command passed to Sergeant Lejeune. On southward, we marched to the last southern outpost, straight into the mouth of hell, the fort at Tindenough. We'd hoped for action. We didn't find it at Zindanov. Day after day went by with no sight of the Arab forces. Nothing but eternal sentry duty. And each dull day was like the one before. In full command now, Lejeune became more brittle than ever. And the men glowered and growled into their breath and whispered together in small groups. In a month, the fort was seething under the surface with madness, hate, and even worse... Off duty for the moment, Bo and I were sitting at the oasis and talking one afternoon. But we heard someone coming toward us across the sand. Uh-oh. Hold on to your watch, Johnny. 
Here comes that little weasel, Guantayo. Buona sera, signore. You haven't seen no one around, huh? Not a soul, my little puppy. Goodbye. No, 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 no. I must talk with you. You shouldn't know what is going to happen. It must be good. It couldn't be any worse. You, of course, know the legionnaire named Schwartz, the one who was once a butcher? I know him. What about him? Perhaps he's going to become a butcher again very soon, signore. Perhaps he's going to kill a pig. There are no pigs here. Oh, but there is one. A great fat pig. A real commandante of a pig. Lejeune. I did not say that. Mutiny, huh? It may take a lot of butchers to kill that pig. There are a lot of butchers. But for you too, the question is whether to be a pigs or butchers, huh? We should like to be butchered, of course, but... Neither would we like to be eaten by the pig. That's uh, very difficult, but you must decide. It will happen soon. Suppose the butchers did kill the pig and started across the desert. They'd be dead in three days, of thirst or from the Arabs. Uh, one must take a chance. Besides, this Lajeune, he plans to kill you for the great jewel which you have. I heard him tell Blondin. I see. Well, we'll let you know, Guantayo. Uh, decide quickly if you wish to live. I must go now. Say nothing to anyone. Bill? Hmm? Rather think we're going to die, one way or another. Glad Digby's out of it. So am I. Well, we'll wait and see what happens, shall we? But we were not forced to wait any longer than that same night. I was awakened an hour before dawn by someone whispering in my ear. It was Lejeune, and he held a pistol in his hand. If you make one sound, I shall blow your brains out. Follow me. I followed him quietly out of the barrack room with its rows of sleeping men, and we stood beside the oil lamp that burned in the caserne. I've been informed of a plot to mutiny, and I've been told that you and your brother have not joined it. I'm going to nip that little scheme in the bud. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Eh bien, you will go back in there and wake your brother while I keep you covered from the door. I have two rifles here. Your brother will take one of them and kill any man who tries to leave his bed. You will take the other and come with me. We are going to disarm the guard. Whatever you say, mon commandant. Va bien. Come on. We left Beau and guard at the barrack room door and made our way through the sleeping fort, up the ladder to the battle ramp. Everything is very quiet up here, mon commandant. I have just ordered the sentry into the guardhouse and the arsenal is locked. Eh bien, bien. Go down to the guardhouse and take their guns. Tell them two rifles are covering the door, and any man who steps into the light will be shot. Oui, mon commandant. Portez-vous bien. We stood there on the ramp, our rifles aimed at the square of light in the doorway, and we waited. I watched the first grey light of dawn filter over the walls, and wondered if Lejeune was going to get away with it. I was given no chance to find out. Lejeune, look! Outside the fort! Arabs! Thousands! Sacre nom du cochon! We are under attack. London, turn out the guard. Open the arsenal and pass out the guns. Bugler, sound us all. Look at the little pigs out there. Sacre blue, but they'll find before they're done. It's Lejeune they're fighting. Come on, soldier. Fire that gun. The men streamed up the ladders onto the ramp, loading the rifles as they ran. They were soldiers, first and last, legionnaires. And in the face of battle, all thoughts of the mutiny were swept aside. Through the whole of that long, hot day we fought the Arab mob, met their fierce charges, reloaded smoking guns, and fought them off again. All through the night, the snipers crept in close and poured deadly fire into the gun slits. 
and slowly but surely, our tiny garrison melted away. Lejeune was everywhere, cursing and firing spistles, grabbing bodies as they fell and jamming them back into the ramparts so the Arabs could have no way of knowing how few we were. As the ghastly night drew to a close, only four of us were left, Beau and I, Lejeune and Blantin. And before dawn, Blantin was gone. And then, as the first red rays of the sun swept over the sand... Beau! Beau! Never mind, soldier. Get below and bring up a pail of soup. The devil seemed to be letting up for the moment. But, my brother, perhaps he's only wounded. I said get below. I'll take care of him. I propped my rifle against the wall and went down the ladder. At the bottom, I stopped suddenly. Lejeune would take care of him. He was not going to take care of Beau the way he did the others. By making a grotesque dummy out of his dead body. I climbed back up to the ramp. Lejeune was bending over Beau's body. He torn open his tunic and was pawing over some papers he'd taken from it. Huh? I... I thought I sent you below. You beastly thief! Take your filthy hands off! There you are! There is no reason why I should not shoot you. You have disobeyed orders. You... I have no need of you now. I sent off a runner when I heard of the mutiny. There should be a relief force here in an hour or two. <laughs> Perhaps two or three bullets in the stomach would be... Johnny! Uh... Wait! I've got uh... his ankle, Johnny! Take it! I punched forward with him, I bayonet out of its scabbard, and I drove it into his house! <gasps> Nice work, Johnny. I'm glad I could help. Oh, Bo, then you're all right you weren't dead. That's what you think, youngster. Deliver those letters. Be sure the confession's made. Public. Be sure. Be sure. Bo! gathered up the letters, closed his eyes, crossed his hands over his chest. There's nothing else to do. Then I filled a knapsack with bread, water, and ammunition, prepared to slip out of the dead fort. At that moment, an officer on the relief force rode over the ridge to the north. I wasn't sure whether the yellows were still in ambush, so I fired two shots to warn him, then slid over the wall on the far side and sprinted for the nearest sand dune, a hundred yards away. I must have dropped there and fallen asleep immediately. When I woke up, it was dark, and the moon was just rising behind the black walls of the fort. And even as I watched it, a tongue of flame shot up, and in a moment the whole interior of the fort was ablaze. But why? Why was the relief force burning Sinterneuf? Just then the figure of a man slid over the wall nearest me and came running in my direction. I raised my rifle. Halt, you covered! Huh? Oh. oh, hello, old boy. I... I thought you'd be out here somewhere. Digby, how did you get here? I was bugling with the relief force, Johnny. They sent me to open the gate. I hid instead. Things are pretty rough. Fairly so. Digby, they killed Bo. Yes, I, I know. I, I saw him. Did you start the fire? Bo always wanted a Viking funeral. I had to give it to him, you know. Yes, I remember. I, I piled all the furniture together and I covered it with sheets, poured lamp oil around. It was the best I could do. He'd have liked it, Digby. I didn't have a horse or a spear, but I did find a dog to burn at his feet. A dog? Yes, Johnny. A dirty, rotten dog I found on the battle ramp. It used to call itself Lejeune.
what came afterwards, how we fled southward for many weary miles across the desert, fought bandits, starved and thirsted. All those things matter very little now. It suffices to say that the day did come when I sat once again in the great library at Brandon Evers, in the same room where it all began on that other night, long before. And I told the story to Aunt Patricia. Oh, it was all so completely horrible. And so useless, John. Why did Bo steal the sapphire? Why did he have to do such a thing? I couldn't say, Aunt Patricia. So useless. I, I have a letter here that he left for you. I, I haven't opened it, of course. Please do so at once, John. Very well. Read it to me. He says, My beloved Aunt Patricia, if I may still call you that. When you read this, I should be dead. I took the blue water, of course, or rather the imitation which you had made after you sold the real stone. Oh, yes, Aunt. I knew about that. You wanted the money for the tenants on the estate. I approve. But I also knew how much you feared Sir Hector would find out. I thought that stealing it might help you. If I was wrong, I only hope that you may forgive me. Oh, dearest Bo. For my part, I remain affectionately as always. Your own, Bo Jest. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, and tonight brought you Beau Geste by P.C. Wren, adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, featuring Barry Kroger, Wilms Herbert, Jay Novello, and Ben Wright, with Ramsey Hill, Lillian Bayef, and Peggy Weber. Music was conceived by Lucian Marowak and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. You are listening to the Old Time Radio Hour with your host, Justine Ward. Escape was a high-quality series that was sustained by the network without a sponsor. So there are no commercials. Next, we have an adventure with pirates and cannibals and a beautiful woman who wants to be part of the action. This story is set in the Philippines around 1800 when the area was ruled by Spain. Enjoy Escape, Misfortune's Isle. First broadcast March 21st, 1948 on CBS. You were aboard a Chinese junk run aground off the coast of Borneo. And paddling toward you are the canoes of the deadly Dayak headhunters. Your powder is wet and your throat is dry. Because for you, there is no escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson. 
and designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to the Orient of 150 years ago, to the Manila of 1790, in Richard Matthews Hallett's story of a wooden ship and an iron man. Misfortune's Isle. The water which was lying at anchor so close up against the jetty, I could have leaned over and spit on the wheels of the elegant Spanish carriages clattering along the promenade. And that's exactly what I felt like doing. I'd been away from Salem for three years now. Three years of sailing a trader brig through the China Seas and south into the Spice Islands. <laughs> All for what? The whole thing had grown stale suddenly. I was plainly and simply bored. Young Poe stood beside me there at the taffrail and tried to console me with philosophy. He'd anchored his sailing junk alongside earlier in the day and come aboard to renew a friendship that started two years before at Tianjin, when I hauled him out from under an executioner's axe. He was under it because he just sold me six fine fat pigs without remembering they happened to be the sacred property of the Tianjin temple. <laughs> oh, Yang Po was a real philosopher, all right. Uh, anyway, my friend, I reserve my sympathies for the poor. You have gained much wealth and trade. Aye, and a few measly gold pieces. But the trouble is out here, a man can't go it on his own. He needs backing. What more backing could a rush man desire than those eight brass cannon at the rail? Aye, they're fair guns, all right. But it's a flag I'm speaking of. Do these unworthy eyes not see a pin up there at the masthead? The bunning of Salem swings no weight out here. In the south, it's the Dutch who call the turns. On the coast, the British, and here in Manila, it's the Spanish. Ah, man had... Young Poe. There she comes now, in the second carriage there. That's the fourth time since high noon she's come past. Oh, four fine horses and two footmen. She rides in style. Watch, watch. She'll look up at the ship. She has every time today. Ha, there you see. Ah, that one. The little caged bird. You know her? I know of her. She is wife of Don Narciso Crispo, the Spanish nobleman who is captain general of the island south of Zamboanga. He is in residence here in Manila. Oh, she looks very sad. Uh, why is she called the little caged bird? One glimpse of Don Narciso would answer your question better than a thousand words. Oh, she's very beautiful, too. I'll swear she looked back and smiled just then. Captain Arad, once in pity, I set free a parakeet which I had found caught in a net. I still bear a scar from its beak. Some things may be worth taking chances for. <laughs> ah, me, I find it so much simpler to go to sleep and dream of maidens on the moon. Ah, oh, but the moon's too far away. Hey, Rad, where are you? Huh? Oh, up here, Michael, on the quarterdeck. Oh, then the honorable red-headed one is still your first mate? Aye, that he is. What's the matter, Michael? Oh, matter indeed. Haven't you heard all the excitement in town? I've been looking... Well, young Poo, haven't they hung you yet? <laughs> This unworthy one is touched by your concern, Mr. O'Keefe. <laughs> what do you mean by excitement? I've been on board all day. Oh, now, last night, with all their soldiers on guard and the stone ramparts and all, a band of pirates slipped ashore down coast and got through into the city. Pirates? Aye. Ten thousand bushels of misfortune. They may possibly think it was me. Oh, they <laughs> have no clue as to who it was. Got away scot-free, they did. 
And they almost abducted the Captain General of Zamboango himself. What? Aye, aye. An important grandee by the name of Don Narcisco something or other. His guard finally heard them. Ah, pity. Fortune not with you, Captain Arad. Ah, but here's the part that'll stop you. There is no one in Manila that knows who they were, except yours truly, Michael O'Kane. Go on. Eh? <laughs> Here, have a look at that. Oh. Well, it's a Manchester cutlass. Aye, and there's a mark on the handle. Aye, it's one we traded to Serif. Aye, aye, the bandit king of North Borneo. And it was me found this morning on the beach where the pirate boat came ashore. You found it? No, 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 not quite. Uh, a melee by the name of Jambu brought it to me. Ah, Jambu. Ten thousand sampans filled with spoiled fish. You know the fellow? I have used him as interpreter. He speak Dayak. But in some former incarnation, he undoubtedly was ill. Ah. You know, I think this may be exactly what I need. Need? For what, I read? <laughs> to make fortunes for the three of us. Uh, I certainly remember an unexpected appointment. Ah, uh, young Poe. It's a plan that won't work without you. I'm not talking of bare profits. This means a fortune. I, I am amazed. There is much talk of money, and yet very little talk of Spanish lady. <laughs> I've heard rumors on shore about these Spanish lasses. For one thing, they wear no stockings. Huh? And how's a man to know it, Michael? <laughs> you can't count too much on hearsay. Well, no, it was a Spaniard that told me. All right, now listen, lads. Let me tell you the plan. And if we're all agreed, I'll go ashore and talk to this Don Narciso. Uh, after I have heard it, I think I shall go and sacrifice White Rooster to Queen of Heaven. Though I doubt it will do a great deal of good. The only thing I can't understand is why this Jamboo didn't take the cutlass to Don Narciso in the first place. It is quite possible he did take it there in first place, Captain Arad. It is point worth consideration. It took a bit of talking right enough, but finally the others agreed to the plan. And no more than two hours later, I was talking to the Captain General of Zamboango himself. He turned out to be a little monkey of a man, yellow as a faded sunflower and much older than I expected to find. I am quite well satisfied regarding your identification of those who perpetrated the outrage, Captain Arnott. But uh, addictions and fatalities... I have also heard the stories of this pirate, Serif. No, I think a broadside of my 32 pounders can furnish him enough fatalities, Excellency. Oh, it's not that simple. They say his headquarters on the Borneo coast is nothing less than a fortress. Ah, it's only a bamboo stockade lying at the mouth of the river. And it's in range of the guns on my brig. My friend Yang Po has been there. But hard against the mouth of the river is the Pluchalaka. Hmm. Misfortune's Isle, hmm? And on it, limestone caves filled with birds' nests worth $50 a pound in Canton. That may well be, Captain Arat. But there is also the Yupas tree. You must have heard of it. Aye. <laughs> but I count little on hearsay, Excellency. It is not hearsay. The Dayak headhunters poisoned their spears and arrows with its juices. I have seen men scratched by them die like that. Some things are worth taking chances for. I quite agree with you, Delfina. Uh, Captain Arat, uh, may I present my wife, Doña Delfina de Crispo? Uh, Captain Arat, I'm honored. Martiso, I have heard it all. You must agree to this expedition. Huh? You know the king's offer? Any man who reads these islands of pirates to be made a conde with lands and titles. To have both lands and titles, my dear. 
Uh, what is it you expect from this, Captain Allwright? A fortune, Excellency. Huh? The bird's nest themselves should be worth a half million Yankee dollars. And there's gold and antimony in the river. And trade with the Dyax. Uh, precisely what is the plan of yours? Well, 50 of Seraph's men are Chinese who once served Yang Po. They'll come in with us if he can get word to them. That'll make things easier. Okay, now how do you expect to get word to them? Well, Yang Po and I'll sail in ahead of his junk and try to contact them. My mate will bring up the water witch 24 hours later and then we'll attack. And exactly why have you come to me? Well, were I to do it without official support, I'd, I'd be judged a pirate myself, wouldn't I? <laughs> I don't know. It would be a great thing uh, if it could be done. Narciso. See? Why not think of it tonight and decide in the morning? Yeah, I think that may be a wise suggestion. Well, allow me to show you out, Captain Ari. By your leave, Excellency. Until tomorrow, then. Good day, Captain. This way, please. He will agree. You may depend on it. Good. I hope also that His Excellency will accompany us personally. He will. You can be certain of it. You uh, seem quite sure of that. Who do you think it was who had the cutlass sent to you? You? Here is the door, Capitan. I will say... Ariositona. In our language, it means goodbye for a little while. For a little while, huh? Well, in that case, adiosito. Delfino was right. The next morning, he agreed to it. And two days later, we sailed out of Manila Harbor... Don Narciso accompanied me on Yang Po's junk, and Michael O'Kane followed at the helm of the water witch. Our luck deserted us as we rounded the corregidor and sailed square into the tail end of a typhoon. There was little wind, but a heavy sea was running, and it took us on the port bow for all that night and the next day. We lost sight of the water witch, and the leaky old junk pitched and rolled like a dory. Yang Po stayed mostly below in his bunk and dreamed peacefully of the maidens on the moon. Well, I stayed on deck and skipped her through it. It was late the second night before I had a chance to go down to my cabin. Buenas noches, Capitan. Delfina! What in the name of the devil are you doing aboard? Being fussed about mostly. It is a very unsteady ship you have, Capitan. There should be a lot more unsteady when a hundred Dayak headhunters start trying to board her. How did you arrive here? In a sack of feathers. It's really all that saved me during the storm, you know. Oh, confound it. Don't you realize your husband is on board? Sleeping in the deck cabin. Suppose he should come down here for something. He did once. I hid in the wardrobe. Oh, all the fool tricks. But you did say, Oriusito, for a little while. Yes, but it wasn't an invitation. Who could tell? Anyway, I shall prove quite valuable to you. I doubt it. You will see. Narciso will become frightened at the last moment. He always does. And what will you do? Whatever is required at the time. I am not afraid of fighting my captain. I have seen it before. Oh, confound it. We had a fortune in our reach, and now you come along and ruin it. You underestimate me. Well, I won't do that again. You are very rude. I meant to be. Uh, why did you marry him? I had no choice. My father was ambitious. Artiso was influential. And did your father realize his ambition? See, si. He became a colonel. 
and was killed at Santiago de Chile. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. And now if you'll remove yourself from my bunk, I need some sleep. If you are going to move in here, then what am I going to do? Oh, you'll think of something. You made all your own plans so far. Oh, thank you. But if my husband sees me, then he may think you brought me on board. Well, in that case, I shall be forced to kill him in a duel. Good night. You... You are going to sleep? I hope to. Try the shrine of the Queen of Heaven. It's the last cabin in the stern. No one goes there but Yang Po, and he'll have to be told about you anyway. Good night. <laughs> Even when you are rude to me, your mouth is so very sweet. Buenas noches. Well, woman or no woman aboard, it was too late to turn back now. And so two days later, we dropped anchor at the mouth of Serif's River. Off the port rail, a quarter mile away, lay the pirate stockade. It was backed up by the dark green mass of jungle. And on the opposite side of the junk, across a hundred yards or so of water, was the beach of Misfortune's Isle, sloping back to break sharply on the foot of the limestone cliffs. On the upper shoulders of those cliffs were the caves with a fortune in edible birds' nests. And between the cliffs and the water stood the upas tree. A hundred legends were told about the upas tree, how its shadow could kill a man, how the spirit of a white goddess was prisoned in the thick, dark foliage of its top and how birds that lighted on its branches fell dead to the ground. But one thing at least was true enough. The Dyaks made a horrible poison from the juice of its bark, and they worshipped the tree. Young Po took the renegade interpreter, Jambu, with him and went ashore to pay his respects to Serif and at the same time was to pass the word to his Chinese friend. It was late afternoon when he came back, and I'd become nearly as uneasy as Don Narciso. Yang Po came aboard alone and motioned me to follow him below, saying nothing until we were alone in my cabin. It is my humble opinion, Captain Arad, that heaven favors us with decided lack of fortune. Why? What happened? Serif, most polite. I, most polite. We enjoy most friendly conversation while we both held our knives beneath our robes. All very polite. Well, did you get word to your men? Uh, Serif, blessed with presence of 200 dyaks and 50 melees. My own brethren are unfortunately down the coast for two days. Oh, that's a bad piece of luck. Ah, but I have news of much worse one. Jambu, that son of 10,000 devils, has deserted us. Deserted? He what? has joined Sarif. Oh, he'll tell him exactly what we're planning. Do not believe Jambu would do such a thing. Delfina, I told you to stay out of this cabin. Jambu worships me. He's my slave wife. It was he who helped me sleep on board. Oh, so that's why he's done it. He has not deserted. What could he hope to gain by it? You, probably. This unworthy one offers suggestion that we stand out to sea until water which come tomorrow. A fine idea, except for one thing. Your sleepy little sons of heaven left the cable slack. We're grounded on a mud bar with no chance of moving before the tide tomorrow morning. Well, we'll have to stand and fight. Ah, yes, they are so callous. 
I forgot to tell you, they even neglected to cover powder during storm. The water ruined it. Well, then we'll not even have the four cannon. Really matter of slight importance. They only ornaments. They would blow up if we fired them. You could hardly have picked a more suitable time to tell me. Well, we'll fight without him. Ah, the impetuosity of youth. I think I sleep for a while and dream of maidens on the moon. Young Po, you'll stay on your feet and start your men boiling kettles of oil and piling rocks by the rail. It would be so much pleasanter to die in one sleep. If I know Sir you'll not attacked until nearly midnight. Delfina, can you swim? I can do anything. Primarily, I want to know if you can swim. I can. Good. Young Po, I'll be back and help you in an hour, but I have a job to do first. Come along, Kundesa. It was dark when we slipped into the water and struck out for the island. If I had tried to lower a boat, they might have seen us from the shore. I could see no other way to keep her out of it. The rest of us had no chance. I knew how the Dayaks fought. We could expect no help. And on board, she would have been the only one of us left alive. Aye, Jambu would see to that. We made the beach safely, crossed it, and worked our way up the steep path on the face of the cliff. Finally, we reached the ledge in front of the caves. Oh, it is so dark here. It frightens me. Well, there's nothing to harm you. Bats in the caves, perhaps, but nothing else. I am to stay here alone, then? Aye, until the water witch comes into anchor tomorrow. Light this torch, then, and signal them. They'll come ashore and take you off. Tomorrow? Where will you be tomorrow, Aret? You are going back there to die with him, aren't you? We'll have a fighting chance. You have no chance at all. And you know it, don't go. Stay with me, Ari. You know that's impossible. No. no this man, young Po, is no better than a pirate himself. And you cannot help him by losing your own life or stay with me. And what of your husband? Do not go back. I beg you, please, Ari. Delfina? You have a deadlier poison than the upas tree itself. Will you force me then to stay here in safety and watch you die on those decks there below us? Well, will it make so very much difference to you? So much that I would not care to be alive tomorrow. In Manila, I hated my life. I prayed for earthquakes, pirates, death, anything. But now I pray only that you may live through this night. Delfina. Delfina. There's nothing can be said. Leave then if you must. But before you do, kiss me. Delfina. When as much as prediosu. Adiosito. Adiosito. For a little while. Had I stayed there one moment longer, I should never have left her.
Back aboard the junk, I found young Poe rushing preparations for the hopeless fight that stood ahead of us. Don Narciso was shivering on the quarterdeck, and I saw no reason to tell him his wife had made the trip with us. The Chinese crew had piled stones and smoke pots at the rail, ready to throw down on the heads of the Dyaks who had tried to board us, and kettles of oil were being heated over a brick hearth by the mast. Paper lanterns had been lighted and hung about the rigging. But outside the narrow limits of the deck, we could see nothing. Nothing but the black wall of the Borneo night. That same dark wall shut off any sight of the upas tree and of the cliff face where Delfina lay hidden. But I knew from the ledge she could see us moving about on the lighted deck. I loaded my pistols with the only dry powder aboard and we waited. There was no light on shore and no sound. And three hours went past. Senores, have all possible measures been taken? My venerable Captain General, I have offered incense and rice to Queen of Heaven. If our enemies prevail after that, then we have mistreated them in some former life. I go below to sleep. Sleep? And who is to give orders to your men? Uh, they give them to one another, Excellency. They are all commanders in their own right. We may perhaps meet later in third or fourth heaven. With powder, a traitor aboard, and the ground of the ship. I might warn you before the attack starts, Your Excellency. Stay away from the rail. At least until after the smoke pots are thrown. Oh? The Dyaks use bamboo poles with iron hooks on the end and... Well, they can reach up and drag a man over the rail easier than picking coconuts. Captain Arad, mm. perhaps we could uh, surrender, uh, make peace somehow. They'll take no surrender. They want our heads. Look, they're on us. Young Paul and Doc, here they come. Watch the rails, Your Excellency. Use your cutlass if a head comes over the side and look out for the hooks. Sheriffs, Dyak's warriors had run their boats in against the sides of the junk and now are pushing their murderous hooks over the rail. The Chinese crew is fighting like madmen, tossing over smoke pots, smashing those heavy rocks down on the heads of the pirate mob, pouring out smoking kettles of boiling oil. And the whole curtain of night was torn by the screams of agony. Captain Allard, we find ourselves suddenly without smoke pots or soothing oil, and rocks are nearly gone. Aye, they'll be swarming aboard us in another two minutes. Where's the Captain General? Uh, he has retired to cabin. It would be uncharitable to say he hides there. Well, a lot of good it'll do him. What happened? Young Poe. They're on the island. Look. It would appear top of sacred Yupas tree has burst into flame. The great flaming torch of the tree spread into full bloom and leaped up to the heavens, lighting the whole sea around us. And everywhere about us, screaming in hoarse terror, the Dyaks drew off in their boats and stared at the blazing death of their sacred tree. And then in full view on the glaring face of the cliff, the beautiful and weird figure of a woman, hair streaming behind it, swung slowly out from behind the flame, and up and up and then disappeared over the ledge in front of the caves. And at the sight of their white goddess escaping from her prison in the tree, the Dyaks broke in panic and turned their boats and raced for the shore. And while I thought of the signal torch I'd left with Delfina, suddenly the battle was over. 
10,000 bushels of unexpected good fortune. The little parakeet has saved our worthless lives. Aye, then you recognize it. Uh, these venerable eyes have never looked upon sight more fair. I shall address her hereafter as Princess of Heaven. And I think perhaps another recognized her also. Ramba, did you not see it? That was Delphina. It was my wife. I know. She was aboard with us. Aboard with us? By your permission, senor? No, she stowed away and asked that the knowledge of her presence be kept from you. I have no doubt she found you quite agreeable to such a plan. Take care, Excellency. Take care? I will see your hand, senor. And thus for her, I shall whip her through the streets of Manila. We will discuss that later. I do not discuss my decisions. In fact, it may be better that I bring her aboard at once. Perhaps bitter or dead on this very deck. You pardon me. It is my humble opinion that elderly men should learn to control their emotions. Wait, wait. There's a Dayak warrior hiding there by the rail. Uh, the boss have gone and left him. Excellency! Excellency, away from that rail! I take no orders from you, senor! Get back! Look out! Silence! Dogger! Wait, Yanko! Very commendable shooting, Captain Aran. Aye, but little use to the Captain General, I'm afraid. See what you can do for him, Yang Po. I'm going ashore to look after her. See what I can do for him. Now, how can I be expected to replace man's head on his body, especially when head seems to have rolled overboard? There's not the least bit of use in giving me a poet's blarney or reprobate. It was nothing but pure luck that kept me from sailing in here this morning and finding nothing but your heads all a-smoking in a row. A little dreams of Queen of Heaven, Mr. O'Kane. Not to mention, of course, those of uh, a princess. Oh, that Spanish lad, eh? <laughs> and quite a one she's turned out to be. I plan to devote a remainder of my unworthy life to rescue of small birds from nets. Now that friend is time. Oh, oh, come in, Arad. I've been wondering where to find you. I was charting the course. Ah, well, we can sail in the morning. Both ships are nearly loaded. Good, we'll head for Kent. Young Po, this friend of yours there, this Hong Kwa, some good quality of silk to trade. It is possible. Ah, silk, is it now? And what will you be wanting silk for, Arad? Well, uh... Well, it's not silk. I, 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 I mean, oh, not come exactly. Come on, come on. It's what, what? Uh, it's not silk, Arad, then... What is it, hmm? Oh, all right, Michael, if you have to know everything. I want to trade with him for... for a dozen pair of silk stockings. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight brought you Misfortune's Isle by Richard Matthews Hallett. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with Paul Fries as Captain Arad, Virginia Gregg as Doña Delfina, Bill Conrad as Young Poe, Barry Kroger as Don Narciso, and Tony Barrett as Mike O'Kane. Listening to the Old Time Radio Hour broadcast each week over the World Wide Web. You can subscribe at no charge through iTunes, Podbean, or RSS. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us again next week 
for another hour of entertainment from the golden age of radio. Until then, this is your host, Justine Ward, saying so long for a while. (laughs) 